0: So all this month we have been uh, talking about some distinctively Methodist things. uh, Who we are and why we are the way we are. Um, And today that has gotten us to our understanding of grace and salvation. Um, How God reaches out to us what it looks like for us to participate in God's work of grace in our lives. And our first scripture this morning comes from... Uh, the book of Ephesians. We are in chapter 2, so if you want to pull out your Bibles or your phones or uh, whatever and read along with me, you may, Uh, and it will also be up on the screen. So this is Paul writing to the church in Ephesus, and he writes, "...as for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins." in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and of the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work and those who are disobedient. All of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our flesh and following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature deserving wrath. But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, And this is not from yourselves, it is the gift of God. Not by works so that no one can boast. For we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. So when we talk about grace... When we talk about salvation, when we talk about uh, God's love, the the fundamental belief that we have is that it is freely given to us by God. That's not something we have uh, come to earn or deserve, but God freely chooses to love us. God freely chooses to bear uh, our shame and guilt and save us and bring us into right relationship with Him. As uh, Methodist-type people, we talk about the first step in this process being provenient grace. Now, there's a $20 word for you. But basically, it is the grace of God that goes out before us even when we can't see it. It's the, it's the continual Calling of God inviting us into a restored life. You know, this, this past week, um, Major League Baseball had a game at the Field of Dreams. Did anyone catch that, some of it? You know, it, it was a pretty cool visual, right? Like hitting home runs into a cornfield. Like, it, it was neat. Um, but if you remember the, the movie, it's based on this premise like, if you build it, he will come. This idea that um, for uh, Kevin Costner's character, that he had to sort of lay things out for this future thing to return to him, um, that he didn't quite know what it was even. This is like the opposite of a Christian understanding of grace. Grace. Like, there is nothing we build in order to have God come into our lives. Like, God comes in, God shows up, and we build nothing. There's nothing we can build. Like, if, if, uh, if the Apostle Paul was writing the Field of Dreams, shoeless Joe Jackson would have walked out of his cornfield, knocked on the door, and said, Hey, can I play baseball on your cornfield? Like, a completely different telling of the story. It wouldn't have been as good a movie, to be completely honest with you. But this is the way we understand God's grace in our lives. This is the way we understand the salvific work of Jesus. That it's it's not that in the year zero, people had gotten just good enough that God said, by golly, I'm ready to go save them. But no! Like... People were just as miserable and horrible in the year zero as they were in the year, you know, 2000 BC or in the year 2080. Like, across the board, humans have been humans. But while we are in the midst of our rebellion, while we are in the midst of our selfishness, while we are in the midst of our sin, God chooses to send Jesus into the world to pay the price of that sin and to bring us into right relationship with Him. This is is truly an amazing, just counterintuitive view of the world that we as Christians hold to. Because everywhere else in the world, you get what you deserve. For the most part. But in the church, you get what God has given to you. And it's something that none of us deserve. And this is what we talk about when we're saying provenient grace. This This is the grace that God is extending out to us, continually inviting us into life with Him, even though we are rebellious, even though we are selfish, even though we don't give two rips about God or the kingdom. This is the grace that when we should just get smashed, blotted out of existence, instead God chooses to pursue us and pursue us and pursue us and and invite invite us and invite us and invite us and continually extend the opportunity for reconciliation to us. And eventually, by God's grace, we hopefully choose to embrace that love. To embrace that grace. To embrace that gift of salvation. Not just somewhere off in the future, but to be saved today. To begin a new sort of life today. To experience the life that God has intended for us today. And as a result, we then become, in some sense, the agents of God's grace pouring out into the world for others. So I have a story uh, for all the kids today from the little ones to the not-so-little ones, even the kids with gray hair. I have a story for you. Um, And it's a story about my cousin Dave. Um, I don't know how many of you know this, but my cousin Dave and I were both born on March 6, 1988. We are twin cousins. Different mothers, different fathers, but same grandparents, twin cousins. And... uh, And my cousin Dave, when he was little, he loved to play soccer. You know, from the time we were, you know, three or four years old, he was always dribbling a soccer ball around the house, around the yard, breaking stuff. You know how it is. Three and four-year-olds with a soccer ball, you know. Yeah, come on up. I'll tell you the story. Come on up, pal. Yeah, you're good. Yeah, here. Here, you want to sit beside me? You can. You can. Or you can sit right there. That's good, too. (laughs) Well, anyway, so my cousin Dave, he, uh, one of these days, you know, he may have been five by now, probably still four. He was playing soccer inside the house, and my Aunt Susan was just at her wits' end, and she said, Dave, take your soccer ball and go play in the yard. Please. Please. Go play in the yard. Stay out of my flower garden, but go play in the yard. We have a nice big yard. Go play in the yard, but stay out of the flower garden. You see, my, my Aunt Susan at the time, she, um, she was getting in these flower shows. She had this flower. I don't remember what it was called, but it was beautiful. And she was getting in these flower shows. And she said, Dave, stay out of the flower garden. Have a show coming up. Go play in the yard. And you probably know where this story is going my cousin Dave tore up that flower garden with his soccer ball just destroyed it and my aunt Susan was so disappointed but my cousin Dave didn't think twice about it it's like oh flowers are dead oh well not a big deal I mean, like, it wasn't even the sort of thing that he's like, oh man, I need to go get my cousin Caleb. We need to try and fix this. Like, we can't. We're five. Like, how many five-year-olds can fix a flower garden? <laughs> None five-year-olds. Like, he, just, it was, he was oblivious. He didn't care, right? His mom is crying because all this work she's put in, you know, he's just, you know, kicking his soccer ball around because he's a dumb five-year-old. But something strange happened. Um, my aunt Susan began working in this flower garden again, trying to salvage what she could. Stand the flowers back up, put little, you know, toothpicks in or whatever. Tie them together, you know. Move the dirt around, and in that instant, my cousin Dave, he felt the conviction of what he had done. So he got down on his knees beside his mom, and she showed him how to fix her flower garden. And, you know, he still wasn't very good at it because he was five. But his recognition that he had hurt his mother and his desire to participate in healing her flower garden brought reconciliation to their relationship. And man, that's a lot how grace works. That we have destroyed the garden, and there is nothing we can do to fix it. But God in His grace fixes it for us, and invites us to come fix it with Him. And it's in participating in that process that we experience reconciliation and the repair of our relationship. Let's pray. Most holy and gracious God, we thank you that you have repaired the relationship, that you have paid the price for our sin, that you have restored what we have broken, and that you invite us, even now, to get down on our knees beside you and to learn how to be about the work of your kingdom that we have learned how to be flower gardeners with you. Lord, we confess that there was a time when we looked at the path of our destruction and didn't think twice about it. But Lord, we recognize our selfishness. We recognize our rebellion, and we are oh so thankful that you invite us to participate in the work of healing what we have broken. So, Lord, we pray that you would work in us even today to draw us nearer to you, that you would work in us even today to fill us with the desire to be participants. In healing your world. Lord, we thank you that when we were rebellious, when we were selfish, when we were doing our own thing, you didn't give up on us. But you sent Jesus into the world. He lived a perfect and blameless life, He was killed like a criminal. But on the third day, He rose again. And in His resurrection, we have hope that we too will experience the resurrected life with You. Lord, You have adopted us as Your children, and now with the confidence of Your children, we pray the way that Your Son Jesus taught us. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be Thy name. Thy kingdom come, Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory forever. Amen. Our second scripture reading today comes from Galatians chapter 2. And Paul writes, We who are Jews by birth and not sinful Gentiles know that a person is not justified by the works of the law, but by faith in Jesus Christ. So we too have put our faith in Christ Jesus so that we may be justified by faith in Christ and not by the works of the law. Because by the works of the law, no one will be justified. The life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave Himself for me. I do not set aside the grace of God, for if righteousness could be gained through the law, Christ died for nothing. Once again, this chief understanding of our salvation history, that we didn't do it, That Jesus has done the work. That He has brought all of us into this place where we can be restored. Where we can be saved. And not just saved in some far-off distant future, but saved in the here and the now. As Methodists, we uh, see grace having this prevenient feature where God is continually reaching out to us, God is paving the way, God is is making a way for us to come to understand what Jesus has done for us. But then we begin talking about justifying grace. This grace that makes it so it it is as if we have never sinned at all. This grace where we embrace the gift of atonement that Jesus bought for us on the cross. Atonement makes us right with God. It makes us one with God. It makes it as if we haven't ever sinned. And it's the grace that God offers to us through the gift of Christ. Now, this is a grace that we can reject. This is a gift that we can say, eh, no thanks. I'm not interested in any of that. But it's a gift that we can hold on to and embrace. It it is the gift that begins this journey where we become one with Christ, where we become the person who God created us to be. It's this event in our lives that makes it as if we have never sinned. That justifies any sin we have committed, any sin that's committed against us. It makes us clean and unblemished. When we are justified, we are crucified with Christ. Our old ways go into the ground, they are buried, they are no more, and we rise a new creation. It is amazing, this grace that God extends to us. Because remember, we have done nothing to deserve it to this point. God justifies us before we do a single decent thing in our lives. We are justified by the work of Jesus on the cross 2,000 years ago. That gift is given to us, it is laid on our table, and all we have to do is embrace it. Trust that Jesus is who He says He is. Embrace this gift that we have been given. And in so doing, we are justified into new life. Our final Scripture passage for the day comes from the book of James chapter 2. And James writes, What good is it, my brothers and sisters, if someone claims to have faith... But has no deeds, can such faith save them? Suppose a brother or sister is without clothes and daily food. If one of you says to them, Go in peace, keep warm and well fed, but does nothing about their physical needs, what good is it? In the same way, faith by itself, if it is not accompanied by action, is dead. But someone will say, You have faith, I have deeds. Show me your faith without deeds, and I will show you my faith by my deeds. You believe that there is one God good. Even the demons believe that, and shudder. You foolish person, do you want evidence that faith without deeds is useless? Was not our Father Abraham considered righteous? What he did, he offered his son Isaac on the altar. You see that his faith and his actions were working together, and his faith was made complete by what he did. is dead. So my cousin Dave, it's one thing to see your mother slaving away in her flower garden and feel bad. It's another thing to get down on your knees beside her and help in putting it back together. As Methodists, we talk about this third kind of grace that's at work in our lives. This third way of salvation. It is sanctifying grace. It is the grace that restores us to who we were created to be. It's the grace that we receive when we get down on our knees beside God and we learn the way that we've been created to be, where we learn the way of Jesus, where we learn the way of the kingdom. And sometimes, it looks like feeding the hungry and clothing the naked and giving our time to the lonely and visiting those who are imprisoned. In other times, it looks like Lifting up those who are discouraged. Reaching out to those who are rebellious. Sharing the good news that we have received and that we know. Part of what it looks like be restored. Part of what it looks like to have our relationship repaired with God is that work we do on our knees beside God in the garden of our lives. Where we discover who we were truly created to be. Not the misformed, malnourished, broken person that the world has left us. but the creation in Christ that God said is very, says is very good. This is not some salvation that's going to come in some far off distant time. It, it, it's not uh, a life where you know, we, we simply believe the right thing just like the demons and shudder. But God saves us so that in the here and the now, we can begin living a restored life. We don't have to wait till we die to just have everything magically fixed. God wants to work in us today to restore us to factory to make us who we were created to be. And all of this just seems too wonderful, doesn't it? Right? Because we have lived in a world that has just crushed some of us. We've lived in a world that, that has... Just put on these these masks and these facades to get along with people, and you know, not uh, rock the boat, or you know, getting any uh, you know uh, misunderstandings with them, or that you know, right? Like like, none of us get to live as our true and authentic in in God created selves in this world. But that is precisely what God offers us today. No more faking it, no more facades, no more living those patterns of brokenness. But this very day we get to get down on our knees beside God in the garden of our lives and be restored to who we were created to be. That's that's too wonderful to believe. We don't have to be, be trapped by the systems that are in place around us that were created by those who take advantage of them to make their lives great and our lives less than great. We don't have to just keep up appearances. We don't have to you know, try to fit in or fit out, depending on you know, what culture tells us is cool in that given time. We can live the life that God designed for us to live in the here and now. We can become more like Jesus. We can become more people of the kingdom today. If you were like me, um, you probably had uh, you know a moment in your life where you learned about what Jesus did on the cross and said, hey, that's pretty cool. Yeah, I don't want to go to hell. I will, I will believe that Jesus did what He said He did. And if you're like me, you probably didn't change one single thing about your life after you know, praying the sinner's prayer. Right? I mean maybe some of you are more sanctified and holy than I am, but like like I know for me, like there was a good fifteen years probably between, you know, yeah, I want Jesus to save me from hell, and you know what, I think I want Jesus to be Lord of my life. And my guess is that some of us even here today are in that middle period where you want Jesus to save you from hell and then leave you alone. Let me live my life. And the reality is, if that's where you are today, you have, you are like there is a gift just waiting for you. It's wrapped. It's under the tree. It's beautiful. Just, and God wants you to open it. I know because I was there. I mean, like large portions of my life Save me and leave me alone. And then there's this new gift where it's like, no, you can be restored to who I created you to be, and I tell you the truth, it is better. It's better. And today if you are ready to receive that gift, know that God is still offering it. It's not the sort of thing that there's an expiration date on the gift of God. It's not the sort of thing where it's like, open by January 12th, 2019, or you don't get it anymore. For some of us, there has been a gift sitting under the tree for 20 years. Just waiting to be opened. Where we make the shift from simply wanting Jesus to, you know, save us from hell someday in the future, to wanting Jesus to save us today. To be Lord of our lives today. To make us into who we were created to be today. Today. And if that's where you are, um, here in a moment, we're going to sing a final hymn together. Um, and if you, if you want to embrace that second gift, that gift that maybe has been under the tree for years, that, that gift where, where God is going to this very day and every day into the future make you more and more who you were created to be, as, as we are singing that final hymn, um, I encourage you to come up and Pastor Srina and I would love to pray for you on that journey. Because today can be the day that changes everything. Today can be the day where you begin the journey of being the person who God has created you to be. And that's a pretty darn cool thing. So let's rise and sing our final hymn together. Um, number 400 come now found